Hello, I'm Nick Miller. This is the Sunday Miller. On my way to the studio, contemplating this week's happenings. It's been a tough week for a few famous people these past seven days. James Corden can do no right. He seems to be sliding back down the slippery pole of popularity faster than Elon Musk can sack his workforce. But at least if you think James Corden's monologues aren't funny, you can blame the person he stole them from. And it could be worse. He could hire Graham Norton's writing team. Am I alone in feeling a bit sorry for Liz Truss being stuck on top of a bonfire in Edenbridge? And Sue Ella Braverman, she's had a tough week, but she's been heartened to hear that one particular undesirable is leaving the country. She's busy writing a thank you note to Anton Deck as I speak. I'm not normally a gambling man, but I'm opening a spreadsheet on how many bush tucker trials Matt Hancock will be facing in the jungle. I think the programme runs for just over two weeks, so I'm going for 15, which is about 15 more votes than he'll be getting from his West Suffolk constituents at the next election. Are we talking about why Rishi Sunak has decided to attend the COP27 conference after all? That's the climate change conference, which is all about inviting several hundred, hundred delegates in from around the world to talk about reducing carbon emissions, having burnt enough fossil fuels getting them there in the first place to run a small nation. Or Donald Trump's hairdryer. And my guest this week is Illinois-born comedian Brooke Hare, who decided to emigrate from the USA, where the political system is something of a pantomime, the economy is all but flatlining, and there's more division in society than we've ever witnessed. He's come to the UK, where the political system is something of a pantomime, the economy is all but flatlining, and there's more division, etc., etc. All of this fascinating nonsense sellotaped together with links from the one and only voice of the balls himself, the legend they call Alan Dedicote. Nick Miller. A bit like a proper broadcaster, only cheaper. This week's been a tough one for Rishi Sunak. The honeymoon seems to definitely be over. He's had it coming at him from all angles. Admittedly, most MPs would pay good money for that sort of thing if they're not already wanking in the House of Commons over pictures of tractors. If you're not familiar with that story, I, I apologise. Google House of Commons, tractors and dominator and you'll get MP Neil Parrish and all will be revealed. But hopefully not on camera in the House of Commons. To borrow a phrase from Joe Biden, the one word on everybody's lips this week was Suella Braverman. She's under massive pressure to get undesirables out of the country and at least she succeeded in one case, Matt Hancock more of whom later. The Prime Minister and his Home Secretary are being urged by all and sundry to solve the crisis of illegal immigrants coming into the United Kingdom, or as it's now more commonly known, Western Albania. Albania's Prime Minister, Eddie Rama, hit out at the UK government for suggesting that the 15,000 plus Albanians who've arrived by boat on the shores of Dover this year alone are here for anything other than legitimate reasons. He claims they're all hard-working individuals who not only have every intention of contributing to the UK economy, but to the health and well-being of our society by ensuring that everyone eats much less fattening pizza because there's so much less room in those pizza boxes thanks to all the cocaine. Many MPs put the blame for the influx of more illegal migrants arriving by boat down to Theresa May when she was Home Secretary, creating the Modern Slavery Act. All you have to say on arrival is, whoops, I've dropped my passport in the channel. I may look like I'm 43, but I'm actually just 17, and I've been trafficked here against my will. And you're in. Well, we just haven't managed to get the Modern Slavery Act right, have we? We should consult the Qataris. They're, they're brilliant at modern slavery. All those modern slaves who built the new football stadiums, they've done a fantastic job. Run for the hills. It's the Sunday Miller. 
Am I suddenly becoming a bit woke and thinking that organising a public firework display where they burn an effigy of a famous person on top of a bonfire is a bit harsh? I, th- I just think that this year's celebrity victim, Liz Truss, may have suffered enough indignation already, having been the shortest serving Prime Minister of all time. Not that I'm suggesting she did a great job. The 11 metre high effigy has been unveiled as the celebrity guy by the Edenbridge Bonfire Society, who are allegedly well known for this sort of thing. She apparently has a lettuce on her shoulder, referencing the Daily Star's challenge to see whether her time in office would end before a lettuce on a live video stream decomposed. She's also clutching a cardboard box containing a leavers card and a copy of the Guinness Book of Records in reference to her short tenure at number 10. And she's wearing a Make Britain Great Again baseball cap. I mean, come on, Edenbridge Bonfire Society. If we're going to burn effigies of world leaders, how about Putin? Or that fuckbrain Ayatollah in Tehran who thinks women shouldn't be heard or seen? Or, I don't know, maybe I'm taking it a bit too seriously. Like I said, I'm not suggesting that Liz proved to be any more financially astute than she was long-serving. I mean, let's be honest, she's the sort of person that would think a Ponzi scheme is a night out organised by that bloke in the leather jacket on Happy Days. The Sunday Mirror. More balls than the National Lottery. So Rishi Sunak has performed what's been called a screeching U-turn on COP27. Well done, Rishi. I don't know about you, but I've been driving for 30, 40 years and I'm almost as rubbish at doing U-turns as I'm at parallel parking. If I find a space between two vehicles, and trust me, it can be quite a large space, it takes me about 37 turns of the steering wheel to either park at a 45-degree angle or I'm so far away from the curb I have to call an Uber. Little old ladies look at me and they say, for fuck's sake, you could get a bus in there. And they offer to park it for me. I I consider myself to be a good driver. Although if you ask my kids, they might say something different when they've been stuck in the car with me. Especially if we've been driving for some distance, they get out of the car shaking and asking people, is it too late to be adopted? But back to Rishi. He's now decided that he is going to the United Nations Climate Change Conference, better known as COP27. I hope he goes by private jet just to wind up the Just Stop Oil people. I'd love to see them gluing themselves to clouds to stop him getting to Sharm El Sheikh. You know Sharm El Sheikh's in Egypt, ranked 10th in the world for the highest greenhouse gas emissions. Listening to that lot talking about climate change, now there's a shining example of hot air. Rishi changing his mind to go to COP27 is in no small part due to him finding out that Boris Johnson's planning to attend and might do or say something embarrassing. So it's a bit like having to go to a party you're hoping to avoid because you heard your mad auntie was going to be there and you want to try and stop her dancing around with her knickers on her head telling everyone you fuck donkeys. The Sunday Miller. You wouldn't have to listen to this nonsense if you were in church. Here's a new feature I thought you might like. This Week in History. All of it true. Well, mostly all of it. In 1852, for the first time in its history, journalists were allowed into the British House of Commons to report debates. They did try televising it back in 1852, but then somebody remembered they hadn't invented television yet. Which is a bit like FIFA taking bribes big enough to buy Twitter to allow Qatar to host the World Cup in the summer, and then someone remembering that it might be so hot in Qatar in the summer that the players would actually cook. So they decided to hold the Summer World Cup in the winter, which is a bit like holding the Winter Olympics in the summer, only to realise that all the ice skaters are drowning. 
Uh, this week in 1884, Henry George Ferguson was born, the first Irishman to build and fly his own aeroplane, the developer of the first four-wheel drive Formula One car, and most famously noted for his role in the development of the modern agricultural tractor. Let's hope there are no MPs with a tractor fetish currently listening to this podcast in the House of Commons, eh? In 1890, the then Prince of Wales, Prince Albert, not that Prince Albert, but the son of that Prince Albert, travelled on the underground electric railway from King William Street to the Oval to mark the opening of what's now the city branch of the Northern Line. It was the first electrified underground railway system. Of course, being the Northern Line, he's still waiting for the train and the kiosk has run out of snuff. In 1922, English explorers Lord Carnarvon and Howard Carter discovered the tomb of King Tutankhamun in the Valley of the Kings near Luxor, Egypt. It had been undisturbed since 1337 BC, and when they opened it, they found some of Joe Biden's old school books. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Joe Biden's Extremely Old Joke. It's the Sunday Miller. This week has indeed been a tough one for our new PM and for Suella Braverman, but even more challenging for a certain Matt Hancock. Following that excruciatingly embarrassing snub of the former health secretary by Rishi Sunak when he arrived at Conservative Party HQ after being elected as our new prime minister, I suppose Hancock must have thought to himself, well, fuck it, it's my political career over, what can I do next? The answer, of course, as now we all know, is it'll be paid a fee of £400,000 to appear on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. The Conservative MP for West Suffolk, who resigned as Health Secretary last year after being caught on camera snogging his political aide Gina Colodangelo, announced earlier this week he'd be featuring on the forthcoming series of the ITV hit reality show. Hancock's had a spectacular fall from Grace. Uh, with apologies, I think that may be the name of one of his, his previous parliamentary aides. Sorry, Grace. He's had a spectacular fall from the days when he was Secretary of State for Health and appearing on our screens every day during the pandemic reiterating that now famous message, stay home, look after the children, while I'm busy at the office shagging my staff. So it was a double whammy for his growing band of detractors. Sorry, let's not bring tractors back into this podcast. His growing band of political enemies. Not only was he caught doing anything but social distancing with Gina, but he also happened to be a married man. In 2006, Matt married Martha, an osteopath. Or to put it another way, in 2006, Martha married Matt, a sociopath. Hancock's half-hour with his tongue down Gina's throat was captured on CCTV, but curiously, there was never any scandal about how and to whom the CCTV footage was released. Yet another example of government security breaches. And yet another opportunity for me to say how much I enjoy wearing my government security breaches. His decision to go into the jungle has been met with quite serious derision from all and sundry, including families who blame his actions during the Covid crisis for the loss of loved ones. Ian Holder, a Conservative councillor on West Suffolk Council, said Mr Hancock has no shame. Tory MP Tim Loughton was even less impressed and said Mr Hancock was being an absolute prat. And the deputy chair of his local Conservative association told a journalist, I'm looking forward to watching him eat a kangaroo's penis. Meanwhile, Martha Hancock will be at home hoping to watch a kangaroo eat Matt Hancock's penis. Nick Miller, the voice of the common man. Very common. But my, my guest today is a relative toddler compared to some of the old fogies that we've had guesting on these shows uh, to date. It'd be very obvious from his accent that he comes all the way from East Croydon. <laughs> Please welcome Brooke Hurd. Thank you so much, Nick. 
book, sorry, book hair. I beg your pardon, that's hair. It, yeah, it? that's either one. Yeah, yeah, either yeah. one's good. It's probably a bit irrelevant in the in the context of a podcast, uh, an audio podcast. It's written H O E R R, but pronounced hair. Yeah, it's Brooke with an E and H O E R R. I still get cold calls asking, "Can I speak with Miss Broke Whore?" <laughs> do, do you pass the callers on by chance? So if, if if you were German, you'd be Herr Herr. That's right. Yeah. So it is a German last name. Herr Herr is what all the posh people say in the House of Lords, isn't it? Nice yeah. one. Now you're from originally from um, a place called Peoria in Illinois. That's right. Yeah. Right? Sounds like a urinary tract infection. Mind you, East Croydon is is just one big urinary tract. Infection. Yeah, I know. When Putin threatened to nuke us, I thought I'm here in East, East Croydon. That'll be a facelift. But I love the way you say Putin. It's a very sort of Biden-esque way of saying Is that how Putin. he says it? How do you say it? How, so, do, how do you say it? Well, we, we're a bit posh, you know, because we wear suits all the time. So we say Putin, Putin. which is um, what I what I look for when I'm walking my dog, <laughs> generally speaking. So what brought you to England? I mean, it's, it's usually a job or a partner, isn't it? What's your excuse? Uh, a bit of both, actually. Uh, originally a job. I came here for finance. And then and then wow. I realized, you know, what? Well, uh, what to work in the finance industry? Yeah, uh, financial futures trader. Yeah, and then I I realized people in the money business are the most loyal people you'll ever meet, unless someone offers them more money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you're in the money industry. I was in the money business. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's great when your net worth's going up, but when it goes down and you've connected yeah. your entire self worth to that net worth, that's when you start to really look yourself in the mirror and wonder. But luckily, I used to sell green beans at the end of my driveway. So, you know. It's a very similar thing. Really, isn't it? <laughs> no, the green beans are much more honest business. Well, they're kind of futures in a way, That's aren't true. they? That's true. Futures contracts were invented in Chicago. I mean, modern day futures based on corn. So, you, you know, a farmer would want to plant corn and know what he'd get paid or she'd get paid per bushel at the end of the season. And someone who makes cornflakes would want to buy that and know what they were going to pay at the end of the season. So that's a futures contract. So yeah, te- you probably could have futures on green beans, although I'm not sure they exist. Do you know that's a really interesting definition? Because if you asked a city broker what the futures market was, you'd be scratching your head within the first sort of 30 seconds. But that actually encapsulated it extremely well. You were co- obviously, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the job. For, what made you decide that the, the slippery pole of the futures market wasn't for you then? Were you, were you cracking jokes in the office? Uh, well, you know what? There's a lot of time to do that. So I was. I was. And that was part of it. Mm. Uh, I went back to – I got married here. I married British. And then we decided to go back to Chicago and start a family. And I started a trading firm at the same time. And it just all kind of went pear-shaped. And I was feeling so in the dumps, I went up to Second City the comedy club and signed up for a sketch writing class that got me into performing. Then we decided we wanted to get back here in England because we have a multicultural family. This is the greatest city in the world for that. And this is a stand up town. So that's how I got into stand up comedy. When you're a stand up bloke, it's got to be said, but you, you yanks, you come over here, you impregnate our <laughs> women, you steal our comedy clubs. <laughs> I'll have, you know, they, they used- my missus is a very independent <laughs> woman. In fact, our first date, she insisted we go Dutch. So we cycled to the park, smoked a joint, and after I paid her for sex. Of course. <laughs> but um, it's what they they used to do that in the war. They used to say the Yanks used to come over here and uh, while the, all the British men were away fighting the Huns, <laughs> you'd come over here, you'd shag our women. And after the war, all the British men would wonder why their kids had American accents and loud trousers. <laughs> Young, dumb, and full of cum. What was it? Over, over, over here and overpaid. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that was that's a slightly cleaner yeah. version of it. Yeah, I, I was checking out some of your material on YouTube, and um, I'd be very confused to try and follow your DNA journey because your stories about your parentage seem to vary from uh, club gig to club gig. Tell me more. Uh, is it true or is it made up that your mum, your mum was a faith healer? Yes, my mom is a Christian scientist, so uh, they don't believe in medicine. Ah, so no, that's not Scientology. No, is it? not that's as cool as Scientology. So, well, what what is the difference? Is it? Well, you know, I mean, some might say Christian Science is an oxymoron, uh, but it's a religion that was started by a lady around the 1900s named Mary Baker Eddy, and she died a millionaire. She used to write a book that went along with the King James Bible, and it was her basically her philosophical interpretation of it. And, uh, and she sold a new edition every year. So she, she made a lot of money, but people in the middle of the middle, of the middle, some of them small sect bought into that. And one of them was my mother. Is there a bit of pyramid selling going on in the, in the science, science, Christian science game? Well, I mean, L. Ron Hubbard is, is the Scientology man, is he not? And uh, he, he made a, a tidy sum, did he not? In his, in his, in his short life. So. But, um, so tell me about your style of stand up because you, you seem to mix, um, a bit of touring at the comedy clubs with, with improv, is, which, which is your first love? Well, I got into comedy through improv. Uh, so I started at Second City okay. and IO Theater Improv Olympic in Chicago and another great place called The Annoyance. And uh, so that, that was my introduction to performing, and I think it was a great foundation. Uh, I, I, I will say first and foremost, I'm a stand-up comedian. I, I enjoy the stand-up uh, most because it gets you further. I mean, it's like the difference between being a solo artist and in a band. If you're in improv, you're sort of herding cats. It's lesser known than stand-up comedy, uh, but a lot of fun. And I made a lot of great friends there. So I, I definitely carry the improv banner. And that's why I do a show that combines the two. We put, put stand-up comedy with an improvised finale. Our regular gigs in Croydon. So we just got promoted from monthly to weekly in Croydon starting December. Oh, We're at an art oh, center okay. called Matthew's Yard, which has a really- I love Matthew's it's great. Yard. Yeah, so uh, I'm very pleased to be there. And then we do the occasional gig at the Space Theater on Isle of Dogs because that's where I used to live. And Surya and McKellen launched his solo show there. It's a nice theater there. And it's an old Presbyterian church converted. I'm sure McKellen would be up for a bit of improv if you if you got him in the yeah, audience. That would be something. He he's the he's the patron Wouldn't there. So what's your name again? Brooke what? Brooke what? Brooke? Huh? Yeah, he was sitting at the bar one night, and uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't. I'm not even sure I should tell this story. <laughs> oh no! When he did when he did his <laughs> solo show there, he he had his hat down in the office, Gandalf's hat. Oh, okay. And we just, the, the manager and I couldn't resist going down there and trying it on. Did it have magical powers? <laughs> uh, hopefully. <laughs> I'm still waiting for him to kick in. <laughs> um, the, just the, sidetracking you to your, your heritage, the American midterm elections are, are coming up this week. And the, they're a bit like our sort of by-elections. You know, when the government's unpopular, they, they tend to sort of swing in the direction of the party that's not currently in the White House. Do you feel that's going to happen this time again? Is, is Trump impregnating... Um, the uh, the election. Well, you know, I think it's much bigger than Trump. I think Trump, Trump, if anything, is um, a distraction. You know, in in general, I tend to view presidents as salespeople. You know, I think we can probably gather that from the current corpse in the Oval Office right now. There's a lot of uh, momentum with the yeah. state, whether it be the left or the right, 
party. And in America, we call our sort of official motto is land of the free, but the unofficial one is our stock market just hit a new high. The world can go fuck itself. So, so in this case, you know, interest rates are up and the stock market's down and you're only getting mugged if you go downtown and that, that is going to hit who's ever in the white house. And in, in this case, it's, it's the left. So, uh, Americans pay attention to inflation and the stock market and the economy, and that's about it. Well, I'd say that's there's parallels here, of course, and, and naturally um, you'll have been aware that um, you know the the British political system is a bit of a bit of a laughing stock to the to, following the, the demise of Liz Truss. Um, even Joe Biden's brother apparently said, "Go figure." After um, well, it, Biden didn't learn the name of the new prime minister because that would have taken a bit of training. But uh, so we've got a, a prime minister called Rashi Sunuk. Apparently. Oh yeah, I heard he. And uh, I'm not sure that Biden's brother knew what he was saying when he said "go figure," but it was uh, <laughs> what the context of it was. Uh, this morning, the British breakfast news shows um, were rather nervously saying that Donald Trump had given his what they called his best hint yet that he's going to run again in 2024. That hint was a rally in Sioux City or Sioux, Sioux County where he actually said it's very, very, it's very, very likely that I will be running again in 2024. Yeah. So I think very, very likely is, is perhaps a bit more than a hint. It's more of a threat. Really, yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't vote for the Don or the Clinton crime family. I didn't want a paper trail back to my soul. <laughs> what an election that was. So, listen, I'm I'm going to try and uh, get to one of your shows. I'll definitely see you over in Croydon. I love Matthew's Yard. It used to be in a yard, and now it's um, in an old Maplin store. So I don't know if it has the same vibe that it had before, but it's a fantastic idea. It's got a great a vibe. We're right on the corner. It's it's It'd right off nice. the main drag, right next to West Croydon Station. Well, I'm very impressed. Brooke, it's been really lovely talking to you, and we will see each other very soon. And um, thank you, mate, for Nick, coming Thanks on. so much and for having me. Pleasure talking with you. Nick Miller, the face for radio, the voice for a ransom demand. A couple of weeks ago on this show, I admitted that there are certain things I just don't understand, but that I understand why I don't understand them, if you follow. If I can add another thing to my list of things I don't understand, Bitcoin, NFTs, Gemma Collins, it's rap and hip hop. It's just not my thing. And as my kids say, it's not meant for me. Fair enough. So when I hear reference to the names of urban artists, I have to confess the names make me chuckle a bit. Have I got that right? Are they called collectively urban? I don't know. Uh, uh, most likely born suburban and with proper names like Kevin and Martin, but they make up names which they obviously think are cool. Always spelt wrong, but apparently cool. So when something awful happens and all too often one of them meets a grisly end, because I've never heard of them, I look slightly askance at the eulogies that come in saying they were unique and highly influential. This week, and I hate to be flippant or to seem to take this lightly, but another one's been shot dead. The reports say the rapper Takeoff has died after reportedly being shot over a game of dice at a private party. The incident took place when he was apparently shot by accident at a bowling alley in Houston, Texas on Tuesday. <laughs> you know those dice games you have at bowling alleys? I always think maybe we shouldn't use guns. Just a thought. Music artists uh, flooded Takeoff's Instagram page with concerned messages as news of his death started to circulate. Lil Pump said, God plus tell me this ain't true. Hip-hop star Kidder the Great commented, Please God, don't be real. 
DJ First Class tweeted, Rest in paradise, take off. Fuck man, this shit just hit hard and I'm trying to grasp words to say but I can't. And the music star Curly Head Monty posted, R.I.P. King, gone too soon, this she gotta stop. I think he's referring to the shootings rather than the badly misspelt social media messages from people with silly misspelt names. Again, I don't want to be flippant or to make fun out of a serious situation, but among those paying tribute to take off was boxer Chris Eubank Jr., who said, another young black star killed for no reason. Something has to change. Yes, Chris, someone has to stop supplying them guns and someone needs to tell them it isn't cool or intelligent to point them at each other. As Joe Biden's brother would apparently say, go figure. Run for the hills. It's the Sunday Miller. Sorry, that was all a bit serious, wasn't it? Let's pick up on something mind-numbingly trivial. Here's a story that I think is as obvious a PR stunt as the time when Pizza Hut announced that it was changing its name to Pasta Hut. The company still denies that that was a publicity stunt, but then Vladimir Putin and Rebecca Vardy still deny that one of them wrote horrible things about Colleen Rooney and the other one invaded Ukraine. I can never remember which way around it was because Putin's such an indiscreet bitch. Chocolate manufacturer Mars Wrigley has announced that it's eliminating the miniature version of its bounty suite from its tubs of celebrations which, for the uninitiated, are plastic tubs of small versions of things like Maltesers, Snickers, Twix and Milky Ways, etc. Big sellers in the run-up to Christmas, as are Quality Street and Roses and Heroes, which is the Cadbury version. So, as the article goes on, the coconut-flavoured treats may be marketed as a slice of paradise, but nearly 40% of us hate them, according to a spokesman at Mars. But the truth is only a limited run of no-bounty tubs are going on sale at 40 Tesco stores in the run-up to Christmas which comes after the brand let shoppers return unwanted bounties last year, apparently. It's just an excuse for headline writers to say things like mutiny on the bounty and bad news for bounty hunters, etc. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I think it's a marvellous decision. If I was starving and sitting cross-legged outside Tesco's with an old Costa coffee cup with a few coppers in it and someone kindly walked past and said, look, I've got no cash on me, but I've got the remains of this tub of celebrations, but unfortunately all it's got left in it are the bounties, I'd say... Now you're right, mate. Bounties and celebration tubs are the equivalent of the spotty short kid in the school playground left on his own after the football teams have been selected. The equivalent in a box of milk trays, Montelimar, which sounds like an R&B artist, but in fact an offence to humanity because it's basically marzipan disguised by chocolate. And given a choice in the Australian jungle of a bounty or a Montelimar, I'd say give me the kangaroo's penis. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Remember, you may not agree with some of my opinions, but I'll always listen to yours. You can find me on Elon Musk's new streamlined Twitter these days, assuming they've got any staff left to switch the server on, at The Sunday Miller. It's that simple. At The Sunday Miller on Twitter. I'll show you my opinions if you show me yours. In this polarised, divided world, please don't cancel anyone. They may just have a point. I'd like to tell you what's in next week's podcast, but I can't because the news hasn't happened yet. See you next time. The Sunday Miller was written and presented by Nick Miller with special guests Brooke Herr and the voice of the balls, Alan Dedicote. Listener.